Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Ariane Devon Voison. She is an author, speaker, change expert, and an entrepreneur. Ariane is the founder, CEO, and chief change optimist of First 30 Days, a New York City-based media company focused on guiding people through all types of changes. She also hosts a popular online show, Change Nation, where she interviews experts and thought leaders on all aspects of life changes. Ariane is also the co-founder of Mindful365, a website and iPhone app that helps people live consciously a day at a time. Ariane considers herself a global soul, having lived all over the world. She has a degree in economics and international relations from the London School of Economics and an MBA from Stanford University. Ariane and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her passion about helping raise happy, conscious, healthy, and empowered kids through a special three-book series on spiritual life lessons for kids. Giggles and joy, you are loved and being you. Good morning, Ariane. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Johnny. Really great to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning. I am excited to learn more about you and your passion in educating kids with special Mm -hmm. spiritual life lessons. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. (laughs) That's a big, beautiful question. So I have have an interesting accent. Um, I was born in the United States. I have French parents, and I grew up in... Uh, New York City, Paris, London, Brussels, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. Um, so the one thing my parents got me used to very early on was change, uh, which you'll see sort of has a guiding thread through my life. But it, it showed me sort of, you know, the power of different cultures, different belief structures, being around mm-hmm. different people. My parents were very focused on education, very focused on raising me, I would say above the neck, where the mind was really what was valued. So it was all about performance and achievement and education um, in all aspects. I did very well at school because I wanted my parents' approval. I wanted, I thought that was going to give me my my happy and forever after mm-hmm. and, and what was most important. Um, I went to the London School of Economics for university, graduated there when I was 19 years old. And then I went into management consulting, figured that was the way to have a good, safe life and a good, safe job and be paid. And for the next 10 years, I sort of followed more of a, an external journey. I went to business school. I did 10 years in the corporate world here in New York City. And I started, you know, climbing up a pretty big ladder, having very big jobs and, you know, significant positions. My last one, I was mm-hmm. the managing director of a $500 million fund here in New York City at the age of 29. And what started to happen was I realized that, you know, I was getting all these things life had told me to go after, but I wasn't getting any happier. I wasn't getting any more fulfilled. And I was wondering, you know, what is, what's really missing? And eventually, you know, I really started tuning into more of my 
inner world and my intuition that was telling me, you know, you're in the wrong job. You're, you're, you know, <laughs> with the, you're with the wrong guy. You know, you've right, got to lose right. the weight because I was, I was a little bit overweight at the time as well. And what happened was I, I started kind of wanting more fulfillment, more meaning, more contribution, as opposed to just self-concern which is, you know, my relationship and my money and my job and yeah. my title. And that felt very empty to me. And so I went traveling and I started getting back to things I loved. I loved writing. I loved reading. I loved people. And to make a very long story short, in the next few years, I have written a few books that started off really with books for grown-ups on various life skills. So the first one I looked at was change. And is there a way to make change easier? Because change is the number one mm-hmm. guarantee in life. And yet we all hate it. And, right. you know, I was pretty good at change. I broke off an engagement. I left a big job. I was leaving a city. And I thought, you know, everyone goes through change, and yet we all avoid it. And are there principles that people who are good at change follow? So that was my first book. My first book was The First 30 Days. And that mm-hmm. led me into starting a company. It led me into coaching people through various life changes. And, you know, over time, I wrote a book on health. I wrote a book on pursuing your dreams. But what, what I started to see was all the work I was doing with companies, with grown-ups, that all the wounds and all the suffering, a lot of it traces back to when we were kids. Things mm-hmm. that happened at home, perceptions, beliefs, things we learned, things that happened at school. And I, I wanted to really start being a bit more of a voice for the younger generation, the kids, because I feel like we need to also focus and encompass and educate children below the neck. And that means right. focusing on their heart and their spirit and their emotional life and their passion and their humanity. You know, this mm-hmm. is a little human, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about educating kids to fit in perfectly into what seems to be a world that's already very out of balance. And so these, these children's books I put out a few months ago um, are called Giggles and Joy, You Are Loved and Being You. And each of them has eight life skills for children, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a bit later. <laughs> I have to tell you, the book, it's so attractive, beautifully mm-hmm. done, Thank you. beautifully Thank you. illustrated. It's very, very engaging. I don't remember having any books when I was growing up, but I can tell you one thing, the principles that you are wanting to teach, it's basically the heart and soul of the mm. foundation that I grew up with, because my parents were really, really focused on that. And what I like about it, of course, you have this three book series in terms of a nice, what I call a layup, one after the other, the other, and sort of a, a nice, wonderful, after all, life is a journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. You know, but the themes I wanted to look at, I have a, a now five-year-old boy, and mm-hmm. it's been an amazing journey to sort of watch, you know, what's, what's not only going on with him, but sort of the children <laughs> of his age and what they, right. what they need, what they're getting at school, but especially what they're not getting. And, you know, I wanted to focus on things not only like kindness, but like self-kindness. You know, we always tell our mm-hmm. children to be kind to others and say sorry to others. But what about kindness towards themselves? Because what's going on in their own minds and the conclusions they're making about themselves and boys, girls, money, work, moms, dads, <laughs> you know, that, that is shaping them. There's a, a famous um, neuroscientist called Bruce Lipton who says yes. that, you know, that the patterns and beliefs that are imprinted in a child by the age of six become the dominant programs that shape the character of an individual's life. 
And when mm-hmm. I remember reading that, I thought, wow, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you've damaged your child if you're listening to this and they're after six, but it does mean right. that those early years are, are very, very important in terms of what they're picking up, the stories we're telling them. So this is my small contribution in some ways to to the journey of, you know, parenting and grandparenting <laughs> and teachers who are, who are all trying to do their best. So true. What I enjoy about it is that I think I'm sure you enjoyed this as well. You became a parent, well, in 2012 or 13 or so? 2013, yes. Yes. And so even though you may have all this concept with you, it's like, uh-huh. And then when you became a parent, I'm sure it came into complete focus, which is a little bit different because now all of a sudden you are truly the teacher, the coach, the counselor. You're going to go through this process as a mother. Uh, yes, <laughs> and you know, the, I thought I'd have a perfectly spiritual child who was like a Buddha baby, and you know, completely perfect because uh-huh. that's that's what we assume for our children. And you know, I've been on my own spiritual journey for twenty yeah. years now, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, what what the the children that come to you are perfect for you, which means that they. They, too, are here to be your teacher and your coach mm-hmm. and to show you where right. you need to still heal. And so the journey in some ways has been one where whatever is showing up, you know, in our household, mm-hmm. my first go-to question is not what's going on with my son. It's always what's going on with me, mm-hmm. right, which is the ultimate parenting question, which is what's here for me? Why am I triggered? <laughs> Why am I upset? Why am I angry? Why am I raising my voice? Why am I making this a big deal? Why, you know, and right. when, you, when, you, when you put the focus a little bit more on you, it's never really the child's fault or responsibility. There's something mm-hmm. that you need to either look at within yourself or something that happened in your childhood. Or, so to me, that's <laughs> sort of, if I'm in a spiritual conscious aware place and I'm not being reactive, right. which of course still happens, that's mm-hmm. where I go to and I go, oh, this reminds me of this or this happened when I was five or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I feel out of control and then my way of disciplining feels very controlled. So, you know, I, I say that because I think we always think that the parenting role is one that's superior and has more answers. Ooh, right. There are plenty of times I've been humbled and had my <laughs> child go, Mommy, are we ready to forgive and let it go? And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, that's when, that's when we see that, you know, these kids have more wisdom than sometimes we give them credit. So true. Well, there are a couple of things comes into play there, for sure. Number one is I love the concept of you mentioned why, why, why. That's so important. As a child, if we look back in life, what motivates us, what taught us things is because of our curiosity of wanting to know things. Now, there are times when we do that, we buck the heck of our parents, <laughs> like our child does that to us right now, I guess. <laughs> the flip side of it is because it is during those wonderful moments of why that they learn. And it's during those wonderful moments of why is we love. Mm-hmm. We truly love. Yeah. In this case. yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've been aware of is to... Mm-hmm to always sort of, you know, tell the truth, which is it's very powerful for a child to know that saying I don't know is a sign of of strength or I need help. And so they Mm -hmm. need to see that from their parents. So if my son asks me something and I don't know the answer, I say, actually, I don't know the answer. I'm still learning. Let's find out together. 
as opposed to, mm-hmm. so he sees, you know, there's a lot of talk in the parenting community about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And the growth yeah. mindset is really about children knowing that for the rest of their lives, their brain is growing and learning and making mistakes and solving problems. But the way they get that is that their parents are also still very much on that journey. And so I really, I'm a big believer in, in radical honesty and authenticity with your child from saying, right. I don't know, to, you know, if I come home and I've had a bad day, I'm not going to pretend to power through and put a huge smile on my face and try and, you know, muscle right. through until my, my son goes to sleep, which is what most of us do, because he will feel tension from me. He will feel stress. He will feel disconnection. He will feel I'm not present. And yet he's right. just wondering, where, where the hell's my mom? Like, what have I done? Right? Because <laughs> the child always takes it on themselves and thinks it's their fault. It's like default nature. Right. So I'll walk in and say, my love, I've had a really tough day. The subway was this. Some people really upset me. I got frustrated. I didn't get my work done. So I do it, I do it in, a, in a language that he can understand. So that he, and I say, I need grown-up time. I'm going to take a rest. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to make some food. But I can't play with you right now. So right. see, there's, an, there's an honesty there where he also now knows that having a bad day is normal and not being happy and perfect all the time is normal because we have these standards on our children where we expect mm-hmm. them not to be grumpy, you know, to be happy, to have a good day mm-hmm. at school. And that's not human. You know, I'm a big, these books are a lot are about just teaching kids, but also parents that humanity skills and giving permission to be human to a child is such a gift. They don't need to perform to you. They don't need to be happy all the time. When you're allowed to have a bad day, they're allowed to have a bad day. And then they see you mm-hmm. recover and they see right, you get through right. it. When you talk about age, all your books, the ones that you've written right here, are designed up to age 10 years old. And mm-hmm. the concept, if you think about it, as we go through lives, because we were there once before. Now, yes. we can't fault our parents because they love us the best they mm-hmm. know how. Mm-hmm. People get crazy with me sometimes when I tell them that people don't do things wrong. Of course, within certain contexts now, okay? Your parents really love you the best way they know how. And so it's our job generationally is to sort of uh, get better at it. And so yeah. in this case, this generation, learning from that, you sort of expound it, make it better and so forth. But the overall concept is still the same. That's the age where you talk about, actually, all the way to maybe about 16, 17, and even 18, you are still a teacher, whether you like mm. it or not. You got to ask yourself, what are you teaching? Of course. You know, and I've got lots of things to say there, which is mm-hmm. so many of us, you know, we either liked the way we were parent or we hated the way we were parent. <laughs> like it's quite extreme, right? right? It's like either right, your parents right. are responsible for everything or your parents right. were lovely and you had a super happy childhood. And, right. you know, m- my invitation for people is to look at, you know, both extremes, which is the, mm-hmm. the hate, how you were parented. A lot of the times what we do then is we take, we do the complete opposite and we try and reparent ourselves through our own child right so we try and heal our own childhood by doing being and you know creating an environment that we think is going to be great for our child but it's really about being great for us and every child requires sort of different things so i I ask people i go are you reparenting your child are you underparenting your child where you're delegating it to the school systems because you mm-hmm. don't know how to discipline and you hope that they're going to figure out your child and get them, you know, on the straight and narrow. Right. Or, right. you know, the, the doing everything the way your parents wanted 
you know, is also to be put in question because when you were parented 20, 30, 40 years ago, that right. is for a world that is not this current world. You know, that's correct. We, we're we're different on the career track. We're different on the college track. We're different on the social, political, emotional track. So, mm-hmm. so all of them mm-hmm. need to be sort of looked at and to sort of go. You know, it's not an either or. It's always right. sort of an and. What can I take that was great that feels right. great? And you know, the age groups from for the books. It's interesting. I've had people read these books to even much younger kids than two, right? Because they right. love the illustrations and. You know, my, my, my belief is that children are learning and imprinting from you all the time. So if you are speaking to your child before the age of two, you can certainly read these books to them before the age of two because they're sponges. They're picking mm-hmm. things up about mm-hmm. everything, about courage, about beauty, about taking a deep breath, about, you know, all those things are, are things going to be imprinted. And what I love about the sort of seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old age group is they often want to read them to the younger kids or the younger siblings because right. they are then put in a role model, you know, I've learned this, I know how to teach this. They they're mm-hmm. sort of, they are they are you know, allowing kids to teach kids is a very powerful concept. You're a better student in this case when you're a teacher. Yes. So that concept really works. But what we have gone through ourselves being adults now and when you look at it yourself, you're a mom right now. All those years that you were corporate executives and the passion that you have, and when you look back at the way your parents brought you up, if you think about it, Ariane, all decisions were made based on two equal but separate forces, love or fear. Mm, And they were trying to protect you. They were trying to get you to go as far as you can go and they go the way they know how to motivate you out of fear mm. so that they don't mm. want you to be successful. Of course. There's no parents out there. You are a globetrotter. You have been everywhere. You met people in Africa and in the Himalayas and so forth. As a mom, I think you can agree to this. It doesn't matter where they live. They only have one goal in mind. I want mm. my kids to be successful. That's true. And what's amazing, mm-hmm. yeah, what's amazing is what you say is, you know, you take the words out of my mouth. I'd say they are, there is love-based parenting and fear-based mm-hmm. parenting. That's what correct. I, what I find so interesting about what you just said, Johnny, is they want their kids to be successful. And right. so success is in first place. And yet all I've spoken to parents all around the world, like you've just mentioned, and what they mm-hmm. all say is they want their children to be happy. Right. And I, I, if I have permission... I often say to them, I say, you know, it appears like you want your kids to be successful more than happy. And those two mm-hmm. things are very different values. And they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not against each other. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. But uh, when you bring up your child to be successful, that will create mm-hmm. a different life pattern than bringing up your child to be happy. Right. What happens here, though, they are pursuing success or happiness is a subset of something, you see? Because when you look at it, what are the true human desires? I'm sure you can see this. When you talk to all these parents, what do they desire most for themselves and their kids? Happiness, blessings, and abundance. Now, to them, what makes you happy? Oh, my son is da-da-da-da-da, or my daughter is da-da-da-da. A lawyer, a doctor, an accountant. (laughs) There you go. There you go. You know why? Because... They felt like that are the chosen field that will give the son a lot of money and help them secure their future because Mm, that's the only thing they know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily wrong, 
But no, that's no. what they were brought up to believe, yeah. you see. Yeah. And yeah. so it's very, very different. It is, you know, and to me, if I was coaching someone or helping someone through mm-hmm. that, I would really look at the beliefs around safety and what right. creates safety for a child or right. an adult. Because, I, I mean, I do this in my work. I coach executives who still, they have the money, they have the job, they have whatever, and there is no feeling <laughs> of happiness or success right. or safety. So clearly those things are not really the ultimate things. There's something greater. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is where for me, if if the spirit is unseen, unknown, misunderstood, broken, not valued, this Mm -hmm. this sort of core emptiness, whether it's teenagers feeling it or, or successful adults, that the spirit is what's missing, which is why, that's that's the conversation that we need to have. It's not about lessening the education or changing what people go do and work and study. It's just it's just reinforcing another part of them that for now I don't feel has had the focus. That's correct. That's definitely true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Ariane Debon Boyson. She is an author, speaker, change expert, and an entrepreneur. Ariane is the founder, CEO, and chief change optimist of First 30 Days, a New York City-based media company focused on guiding people through all types of changes in life. She's also the co-founder of Mindful365, a website and iPhone apps that helps people live consciously a day at a time. Irene and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her passion about teaching kids spiritual life's lessons through a special three-book series. Irene, do you feel the energy of the world has shifted spiritually? Ah, I mean, I, I say yes and no. For me, it hasn't shifted <laughs> enough. <laughs> and it's also shifted away from being spiritual. Yeah. Like I feel... You know, for me, mm-hmm. spirituality is about being connected to something greater than yourself. It's going right. beyond self-focus. And that can be connection to animals, connection to Mother Earth, connection to, you know, other people, connection to God, connection to life, the universe. But but it's knowing that there's something bigger and greater going on. And children children mm-hmm. need that sort of impact. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. a study that was done for 25 years on the impact of spirituality on kids by a, 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 the woman is called Lisa Miller. She wrote a book called The Spiritual Child. And for mm-hmm. 25 years, she tracked children who had some form of spiritual influence. And this didn't mean church or religion. It included that. But it was pretty much any gratitude, compassion, empathy, you know, mm-hmm. self-love, like some of the more spiritual values. And then children mm-hmm. who had none. And the impact was extraordinary in terms of lower depression, lower bullying, happiness, right. you know, pursued what they wanted to do, health in the body, you know, no teenage drugs, suicide, depression. Like it was extraordinary. <laughs> and no one's talking about this. So, so I, I do think it has. You know, I, I feel whether it's grown-ups or children, I think we're in a spiritual crisis. I think mm-hmm. that people need to come back into their bodies. And they need to be you know, in relation and community with something more than Mm -hmm. just their job or their money or how that defines themselves. Very interesting. I thought the millennials are much more spiritual than any other generations. Well, they, they are, 
in the sense that they don't want what it is their parents have projected onto them, mm -hmm. right? So it appears mm -hmm. like they are anti-corporate and they're anti, you know, money and anti a lot of the things. <laughs> and, I, you know, I've looked at this in detail. And one of the reasons is their parents themselves are not happy, right? So right. It's very right. hard to buy into a life philosophy when what your parents are pushing on you made them get divorced or run out of money or be complaining or feel unsafe. So of course the millennials are mm -hmm. going to go, sorry, mom and dad, but your, your <laughs> plan didn't work. I'm going to go do something really different. And right. you know, you want, you want to raise happy kids. The most important thing is for you to be happy. It is not to Certainly. teach them something, give them music or Chinese lessons. All that stuff is great. <laughs> but when your child looks at you and does not get happy mom, or happy dad. It doesn't even mean together. That's mm -hmm. when they start. They start embodying the same level. You know, if you if you have anxiety, your child will pick that up within the age you know age of two or three. That's right. why for me the healing needs to happen also at the parents' level, not only sort of instilling these in the child. Sure, I agree with that. When it comes back down to, and I hate to say it very crudely, I mean even in the corporate world. You can't have a B telling another B how to be an A. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen. And I yeah. say that respectfully. But at the same time, no parent out there, you hear me saying this over and over again, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a PhD, a double PhD. It doesn't matter to me whether you have a GED. Still have life wisdom to teach your kids. There are other things you can outsource. But there are other things that you don't outsource because you know yourself. You are the living epiphany mm -hmm. of that life's wisdom that you can mm -hmm. share that is actually far more powerful because that's what values are and ethics are and so forth. Of course. And that's what's going to help your child through the tough stuff. You know, that's I right. had the brilliant education, thank you to my parents, Stanford MBAs, like, you know, incredible mm -hmm. education. It did not help me with losing a loved one. It did not help me with breakups. It did not help me with health issues. It did not help me with, you know, breaking off an engagement or mm -hmm. finding mm -hmm. myself in a career that I really didn't. It didn't help me with any of that, right? Mm -hmm. so my education mm -hmm. was sorely missing. That stuff came from my parents, my grandparents, my peer group, life books I read, workshops I took. So mm -hmm. you, I, I say to parents, like, you know, let, let's focus on what is, what's beautiful and good and true and innate wisdom, like your intuition. You know, if you, right. you, have, you have a beautiful heart, you, you created or adopted this child, and that, that child is, is sort of looking to you to embody values. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that's what I... Yeah, that, that's what I'm, uh, I'm very passionate about. <laughs> I agree. Coming back to Giggles and Joy, the spiritual life lessons for kids. What I love about the very first book is that you've talked about this a little bit earlier about kindness. And I think one of the most important things in that book to me is the concept of starting with the idea of prayer. I like mm. that very much. Mm. Kids don't know that. But I remember as a kid, my mom would be toting me over here, over there, <laughs> everywhere, yeah. and teaching me, just say something good, ask something good, and you'll be protected. That was mm. funny. I remember that. As a kid, it's like, what? Yeah. You see the impact of it, you know, and the prayer poem is, is really, yeah. it's, 
it, it's not a specific religion. It's sort of right. honoring all religions. What's what's true and universal about all of them? This is what you know, a Nelson Mandela, a Mother Teresa, a Gandhi would right. you know want your child to sort of know. They would not try mm-hmm. and have them associate to a person or a personality. But the books fit beautifully next to really any faith and any religion. And for me, right. prayer is just it's giving the child sort of an inner rich world where you know, whether they're praying to their higher self, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Whether they're praying to something right. that they believe in or that their parents would like them to believe in. It's, and, you know, a lot of this prayer is about praying for yourself or someone else. And that, right. you know, prayer doesn't mean you get exactly what you want, right? So mm-hmm. it's not a sort of, oh, this is a version of, a, you know, Father Christmas, I get to pray and get what I want. And then, That's right. you know, it's it's sort of, it's allowing a conversation for a child that they wouldn't know is possible. Like we do, we do prayers at night and we, we, I always ask my son, I said, who should we say a special prayer for? And it can be someone affected by the floods in North Carolina. It can be a homeless Mm -hmm. person. It can be a pet shelter. It can be my mother-in-law right now. Who's got a health issue. It can, but do you see it allows them to have a wider world. That's not Mm -hmm. about him. Right. And it puts it, that's how you teach empathy and compassion, which is like you are part of this global world and you can focus some energy in your heart and imagine the other person in front of you and send love and energy from your heart to their heart. Like this has been taught in meditation in Mm grownups, like the power of like thought and prayer and impact. You know, I'm not calling it meditation for a four or five year old, but that's actually what you're teaching them. Right. So true. Not only that, though, you are teaching the kids to look through the lens of love because praying. Yes, you do pray something for yourself. But a lot of times, like you mentioned just now, let's pray for somebody else. Or who would you like to pray for? Mm -hmm. That changes the dynamic. It's such a lovely Mm -hmm. thing, Johnny, because, you you know, we all want to get to know our children better, you know, and asking them, what did you do at school? It doesn't always Mm -hmm. get anything from your child. But we want to know their inner world. And what I found is lovely about these these life skills is when you when you you know read a life skill called prayer or you read a life skill called sad and mad, which is another one that's in the first book, your child (laughs) will then be triggered to tell you what makes them sad or what makes them mad. And it's a conversation you might never have had. And the same thing for prayer is like, oh, you know, I, I saw this or I heard this. And, you know, like, like that's when you see, you see what your child is actually thinking deep down. And that's mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. that you want to have an influence on. It's not only homework and spelling tests and getting them to soccer practice. It's like, right. what are they feeling and thinking inside? And sometimes, you know, you're like, I have no idea what's going on with my child. Like these right. books help. It's sort of what, you know, what creates... Um, what creates the blocks within your child? What are they? Mm-hmm. What conclusions are they making? You know, there's one of the books right. has a poem about you are safe, and about mm-hmm. teaching mm-hmm. children about the real safety, which is mm-hmm. inside. You know, some people think they live in a safe world, and some people yeah. think they live in an unsafe world, but it's the same world. <laughs> right, right. What I like about the second book is the fact that life is beautiful. To me, I take that as the spectrum of the different things that's going on around us, diversity, different things actually enrich life, enrich us as a person. There's a sense of appreciation of the difference. And when you look through the lens of love, then you appreciate the beauty in all the differences. 
in what life has to offer you. Yeah, and Jodie, what I mean, one of the things you know, a kindergarten teacher told me to do this mm-hmm. um, with with children, and you know, is to teach them that they they get what they focus on. So if they right. focus on, you know, this is going to be boring, that's going to happen. If they focus <laughs> on, I'm going to like this, they're going to like it. But, but I mean, as grown-ups, you know, we we also we really get what we focus on. And a simple exercise we've been doing, which is amazing, we live in right. New York City. I would not, you know, focus on love in New York City. It just, and mm-hmm. that's not what New York City breeds, right? Right, so right. Children don't have a lot of signs of love in New York City. And so what she, she mm-hmm. does is she tells her kids to look for hearts or the word love anywhere they can find it. And so mm-hmm. every day, I can show you my phone, my son walks around the neighborhood, subways, on his way to school, on to the shops, to wherever we're going, in the park, and he mm-hmm. looks for hearts. And he mm-hmm. sees anywhere from three to ten hearts every single day. And I, I'm not saying this because my son's special. I'm saying this because he's looking yeah. for them. And I have right, to take a right. photo of every single heart that he sees. But because of that, his perception of New York is New York is full of hearts. It's full of love. Right, Pe- right, People right. have hearts on their T-shirt, on their jackets, on their bags. There's love mm-hmm. written on the walls, on the pavements. And so, you know, the children are growing up not thinking of New York as noisy and dirty and smelly and with horrible people. <laughs> They grow right. up thinking, there are hearts in New York City, let's go find them. But do you see that the long-term impact on a child is tremendous? So oh, let's sure. look Definitely. for, let's, you know, my child looks for old people, which is an interesting thing. He likes looking for them, seeing them, saying mm-hmm. hi to them if they're in a walker or a wheelchair or they're sitting on a bench sat by themselves. He is mm-hmm. focusing on that so that he, he can find them and try and smile at them and make them have a happier day. So we, we can help our child focus on things. We can help our child see things that even I, I've, I've lived in New York City for more than a decade. I have not walked around New York looking for hearts, but guess what's happened to me? <laughs> I see hearts everywhere. And I'm a lot happier when I walk out into the streets of New York because now I'm looking for them too. Right, right. Well, it's sort of programming you gently to look for what's good. Yes. What triggers the things about hope and on the plus side of the equation for a change. That's what it's all about. Now, I mean, we're not living in a superficial world here where the negative side doesn't exist. But what happens here is to be balanced, realizing that you're going to have both sides. But when this critical moment comes in to your life, which side of the equation are you going to be? I yeah, say this so. all the time is you cannot protect your children from the bad stuff, the bad times. You know, this <laughs> is about raising kids to right. to be fully functional in the world. And if the world mm-hmm. is what it is, and if the world has technology and screens and the world has, you know, tough stuff going on, it's it's allowing them to be fully in that world and giving them a tool belt. And mm-hmm. you are responsible for their tool belt. And if their tool belt includes things like focus or, you know, helping them through change. We teach children Mm -hmm. in all the schools that I I work in and I teach, we teach them about them having a change muscle so that when Mm -hmm. they go to a new school or they start a new program or they get a new sibling or they lose a grandparent, they Mm -hmm. have a change muscle. And you can imagine these kids love the change muscle concept that is getting stronger. Um, So, you know, another tool to put in their tool belt is breathing. I'm a big belief in teaching children the power of their breath. 
because when the breath is calm, the mind is calm. Right. So when your child, whether in school or in the playground or having a tantrum, it's usually because their mind is not calm. Their emotions are over-frazzled. They are overstimulated. There's too much going on. But the power of the breath, you know, we know this as adults. The breath mm-hmm. is the first tool you go to to create some form of peace in the body. It's the reason people smoke. They smoke <laughs> because they need to breathe. That's right. If That's you right. look at people lighting up, what's the first thing they do? They take breath. The That's truth correct. is they could take deep breaths without the cigarette, but most stressed mm-hmm. out adults do not take the deep breaths. And the same thing with children. You know, we, we, we taught our child very early on that breath feeds the, his brain, mm-hmm. and that's basically what your brain needs water, your brain needs sleep, your brain needs you know, oxygen. And so mm-hmm. he, I, I've seen him, like he will start taking deep breaths. So that's another tool to put in the tool belt for, for hard times. Definitely. What yeah. I like also you mentioned in the second book, You Are Love, this is very, very important. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the yes, you can is, you know, children so often by the age of like two, three, four, the only word they hear is no. No, you can't right. do that. No, don't climb. No, you're going <laughs> to fall. No, be careful. And then, you know, we call the terrible twos and threes the, the years of no, where your child goes, no, I don't want to. But the reason is they've been hearing no from you, right? Right. So right. they're in some ways are matching and mirroring. But, you know, yes, I can is it's really a celebration of remembering that children need to hear the word yes. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you mm-hmm. can, you know, draw on you know, this big white piece of paper as opposed to the wall. Yes, you can, you know, go to the park. Where the, the child is also allowed to choose and decide. Like one of the most amazing things to do with your child is to say, okay, I'm going to pick you up from school and you can choose anything you want to do. I mean, they, their eyes light up because usually you're in charge. Mm-hmm. It's your plan. It's your program. You're going to tell them what to do. <laughs> and so it allows them to make choices and decisions. Yes, I can. It's also about just making sure that their their dreams and their imagination is still on. You know, because right. if they are in a school environment, it is structured. They don't have freedom. They don't have choice. They're constantly being told what to do. And so for mm-hmm. your child to grow up having their imagination on, having their spirit on, believing that they can build a robot or they can, you know, use whatever is available in your apartment to build something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. It, it sort of it, it keeps it keeps that part of their spirit alive. I agree with that. There's no doubt about. It. I remember growing up, and like you say, the intentions are good from the parent side of the equation. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. When it's all said and done, that is because they love you through the lens of fear. Of course, it's actually out of love. They say no. <laughs> No is a great word. No is a great yeah. word and it's appropriate. And yeah. you should be saying yes at least as often as no. So you That's need correct. to find words. So you can say, instead of saying, um, no, you can't have you know, a cookie before supper because you've just <laughs> made some. You say, right. yes, you can have a cookie and first you need to have supper. Do you see where there's mm-hmm. no no? Or no, right. we can't go to the park. You can say, yes, we can go to the park after we've been to the shops. Or, right. after, or tomorrow we can go to the park. Where, 
you, you can you can turn it into an affirmative statement so that the child hears that right. what they want is also valued, right? Right. Because that's right. where the child starts having tantrums, which is everything I want I can't get. Right, right. It's true, though. What you just mentioned just now is very interesting because in the end, that sort of the secondary breath that the child takes is basically no, but why? Oh, <laughs> yes, but why? So what happens here is that parents have to pay attention on like, it's okay to say no, but you need to explain why because mm-hmm. don't forget the child is still very much in the learning years. They need mm-hmm. to learn. They have no yeah. idea why you say yeah. yes or no. It's not about an attitude because there's always a reason for something. And so let their curiosity win you over, for lack of a better term. And I think there's you know, a beautiful way for parents to sort of language things to kids. So you right. know, sugar is a big problem. You know, There's a lot of sugar <laughs> kids. That's usually what they want to eat. Well, instead yeah. of saying, no, you can't have an ice cream, no, you can't have pancakes, no, you can't have another treat, you, know, you <laughs> teach the child but they have superheroes inside of them. And those superheroes are fighting off germs, fighting off bugs, viruses, bacteria. Mm-hmm. And the superheroes, if you feed them sugar, your superheroes will die. I promise mm-hmm. you, your child is not <laughs> going to want to have all his or her superheroes die. And it's right. just, it's a way for them, or they're going to get sick, or they're going to act slowly, or you know, mm-hmm. the sugar is going to start fighting the superheroes. You know, you will find children self-restrained by themselves, and they'll say, mm-hmm. I'll only have one gummy bear. You will see it, but, but not right. by explaining to them that sugar is bad for you, because they don't know why sugar is bad for them. That's correct. That's correct. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Irene Devon Poisson. She is an author, speaker, change expert, and an entrepreneur. Ariane is the founder, CEO, and chief change optimist of First 30 Days, a New York City-based media company focused on guiding people through all types of life changes. She is also the co-founder of Mindful365, a website and iPhone app that helps people live consciously a day at a time. Ariane and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her passion about teaching kids spiritual lessons through a special three-book series. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Ariane, let's go back to something interesting. Were you on a spiritual quest when you journeyed on a motorcycle through the highest roads Mm -hmm. in the Himalayas? I might definitely was. I would say my spiritual (laughs) path started when I was a teenager because uh-huh. I was pretty unhappy. You know, my parents were not particularly in a good marriage, and I just mm-hmm. felt like there must be something else. So I started journaling. I started picking up some books to try and, like, get happy and to try and realize, like, what's the point? What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What am I doing? Why am I studying so hard? So it started at 16. I did the spiritual journey in the Himalayas at around the age of 34. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, half my life. And to me, what it was is I was invited by a group that was going to travel with a teacher through the Himalayas for about a month on motorcycles. And we were going to face our fears and and pull us out of our environment, you know, that is so familiar and so comfortable. And in some ways, it keeps your identity in place. 
you stay the way you are because of your peer group, because of your job, because of your tribe, because of your family. And this is a way of removing myself from that environment so that I could question my identity and find out, like, who am I? What am I? What am I here to be doing? How do I serve my fellow beings? How do I make a difference here? How do I, you know, let go of suffering, let go of fear? So the answer is very much yes. And it was an extraordinary, beautiful journey at the you know, very top of the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. How has the elevation of your personal consciousness contribute to your success? Ah, you know, success to me is, um, it's an inner job. It's nothing on the outside that's telling me I'm successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had all the sort of external accolades and never felt successful. I've had press releases in the Wall Street Journal that made me feel very depressed because they weren't <laughs> the right, they weren't the right press release. You know, when you yeah. suddenly realize yeah. that what you're, the world is acknowledging you for is not really what your heart and soul came here to do, it feels right. very empty. So the answer is, once I've, I've took some time away from all the projections onto me that the mm-hmm. world was telling me I should do or my parents or whatever, the more I've sort of been in charge of my own choices, meaning I've elevated my consciousness to consciously choose who do I want to spend my life with? You know, even my life partner, mm-hmm. my husband. Who, you know, mm-hmm. where do I want to be? What sort of work do I want to put out in the world? My, mm-hmm. my ability to rest into my inner space of, you know, I'm leading a successful life is much higher as opposed to the world telling me, you know, you mm-hmm. are successful. You have this many Instagram followers. You know, that stuff <laughs> is very, very irrelevant for me. <laughs> okay. How about this? Do you feel that your entire life's journey up to this point, or maybe to that point where you sort of went through this metamorphosis of self-enlightenment, when you look back to all the way to graduating at a very young age, and I'm talking about college, that is, and mm. of all things that you studied, economics and international relations, that's kind of mm. a little bit off in the tangent, so to speak. Yeah. But do you realize that these are the things that you have to collect as mm. part of your chips. And mm. then who you are right now, nothing is wasted, if that makes sense. Yes, I love that. And, you know, for me, I think that the ability for me to have any impact is mm. also because I have been in the corporate world and I have been mm. in the wrong relationships and I have been overweight and I have had to study and try and please my parents and still disappoint them you know like in some ways it's built up my humanity much more Mm -hmm. than you know I'm this perfect person that had a great life and so Mm -hmm. I feel like everything I've gone through you know when I speak to corporates or I do speeches like I have the ability to go oh my god I I feel like I'm looking at myself a younger version (laughs) of myself but I feel like because I've been there I can I can help guide and be a little bit right. of someone that lights the way of the journey if people want to take it. I'm not saying everyone should or needs to take it. I agree with that. What's powerful is the fact that you and I are experiential speakers. There are times that we don't realize why we went through. I was like, why me? But mm. then when we look back, it is not about me. It's about how mm. we can serve mm. others based mm. on our experience. Yeah. And how we use it and maybe something you went through is going to mm-hmm. help thousands of people. You know, I think the, the thing is to have the courage to see that your experiences are worthwhile and they're not only personal, but they are universal and they're mm-hmm. certainly not permanent. And I think the mm-hmm. sooner you, you turn them into also a gift for other people, the, the more 
yeah, the more in some ways you're used as a facilitator, as an instrument to help others. And that so brings true. ultimate joy and success. That's correct, because that's that intrinsic value. In the end, it's all about the insight. True success is the feeling that you experience on the inside, and it's very difficult to sort of share it to others. But guess what? It generates the smile on your face, twinkle in your eye. How's that? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Coming back to the book. The books are fantastic. Do you have recommendations for parents and caregivers on the best way to get the education information to the kids? And the reason why I say this is because not all parents have the time per se, like we talk about in the end, some of us do have plenty of time, some of us don't, some of us are always running out of time. So mm. what is the best way to get the education information to the kids? Mm. Well, honestly, even if you, I think each book has eight life skills, it will probably mm -hmm. take you between three and five minutes to read one of them. And mm. every poem is pretty dense. So I would definitely not read the whole book. I would pick one. Right now I've opened it and the poem I'm looking at is called Change. And this mm -hmm. is about helping a child deal with any form of change they might be going through. And you read it, it'll take five minutes and that'll be enough. You know, and if you want to read one or you want the whole week to be about change, and that is what's talked about in the house. That is the mm -hmm. filter. Everyone talks about what changes they went through today or what they're feeling. It doesn't, this is not sort of the whole book, you know, I don't have time. I would hope that parents find five or ten minutes when they're putting their child to bed or, you know, before supper to just even read one of these skills. Um, you will see your child will gravitate towards some of the ones they like. Like there's one called Being Sick, and it's all mm -hmm. about aliens being sick and aliens throwing up and they've got spots all over their face. And the children love this one because it's funny. Um, there's some that you'll read in, you know, a minute or two. But that to me is ha read one of them, have a conversation, and potentially have it be the theme for the week. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's only 24 of these for now. So you'll, you'll, be, you'll have an adventure, as a, even as a family. So true. What I like about it, too, it's so attractive. I would leave it out, whether it's at the dinner table, breakfast table, and so forth, and let the kids' curiosity lead mm -hmm. you to what they want to know. The only thing you have to say, hey, go through this. Let me know which one you want to talk about or have any questions. Yeah. yeah. And you'll be, be amazed, Johnny. You know, yeah. what's amazing is the one your child picks, you know, whether it's they can the read same. or not read. First of all, it's not the same, but often it's the one they most need or the one they're right. most sort of having something come up with for them. So That's pay correct. attention to that too. Yeah. I agree with you because what we think they need is not the same as what they think they need. Yes. Yes. <laughs> True. Are you planning to add more titles to the series? Uh, you know, I've got one absolutely that has come from parents and teachers that want mm -hmm. some more skills. So there's one on materialism. And, you know, a lot of parents want their mm -hmm. kids to move away from materialism. Um, another one is about self-forgiveness and about helping children forgive themselves for what they might have mm -hmm. done. Like we're very focused on go say sorry. But what about saying sorry <laughs> to yourself? You know, like you feel right. bad. They feel shame. They feel guilty. Um, generosity skills is another one. You know, a lot of those are hinted at in the poems. But for now, I've got three. We released them a few months ago. I want to sort of bring these to as many people, teachers, schools, mm -hmm. parents, grandparents as possible um, before we release the next one. But, yeah, they're coming. There's, there's more there. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. 
Please take some time to talk about your team. So my team, yeah. We're an all-women's team in three different countries. <laughs> um, actually, countries, cities. Um, Carly is a good friend of mine. She really helped take the content and make it rhyme a little better. I wouldn't say I'm the rhymer. Some of them rhyme, some of them don't. She's based in Cape Town, South Africa. And Ellie, who came up with a lot of these extraordinary illustrations, she's in Seattle. And she loves using art to heal and to really create mm-hmm. a rich emotional life for children. They're amazing. You can never do anything by yourself. <laughs> so true. Where can someone go to buy your books, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest mm-hmm. happenings? So the books are, of course, on Amazon. They're available either individually if you just want to try one or as a gift set right now they're on sale. So Amazon would be my go-to place. More information about the books or the titles or what's, you know, the endorsements. We've had some extraordinary people Mm -hmm. give us, you know, I was going to say uh, endorsements. That is gigglesandjoy.com. And then my work, so my coaching, workshops, we're doing a course for parents on life skills. I have a TED Talk coming out on life skills. The best place is um, Ariane Studio. That's A-R-I-A-N-E-S-T-U-D-I-O.com. And, of course, I'm on social media, but not that much. <laughs> but uh, I am there, <laughs> present. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. What is next for you? You know, I'm finishing off this online course for parents, teachers, caregivers, where, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone has the time to go to a workshop. So I want to provide it in a way that people can do it at the time they want and to look at these seven life skills that I feel we really need to teach. So how do you teach intuition to a child? How do you teach breathing to a child? How do you teach telling the truth or forgiveness to a child? Um, So that will be on my website in the next few months. So that's very much present. I'm also working with schools to develop the curricula around more of these sort of softer, emotional, happiness-type life skills that they don't need to be a separate curriculum, but the more schools and the more educational environments take these on, the more amazing it'll be for our children. Fantastic. You have accomplished so much as an individual, as a woman, and of course, now as a mom, looking back in your life, what recipes for living life can you share with us this morning? Oh, um, you know, the first one is that um, you need to be patient and that the things that I thought would happen at 30 didn't and the things I thought would happen at 40 didn't. And so to really <laughs> give up give up some of the narrative and the timeline. You know, I did not get married at 30. I did not have three children by the age of 25 or like things that I thought were necessary for my life mm-hmm. to go a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say dropping the narrative and the projections of what you think is going to make you happy and especially by when. You know, my greatest years could be in my 50s. Who knows, right? I might not be here <laughs> in my 50s. Who knows? So... That would be top of list. And I'd say that the second thing is the more I was in flow with using my gifts and my talents, which we all have, for, mm-hmm. for other people as opposed to just myself and filling my plate up, the happier I became. Um, so serving your fellow human beings in, in a small way, in a big way, in a charitable way, and with whatever it is that you, you can. That to me was the big turning point from when I was 32 and unhappy and, and sort of, you know, this next new chapter of my life. And to, you know, 
for me, the, the spiritual journey has added so much dimension because I've been able to rest in the parts that I don't control and that don't feel like they are, you know, they are really up to me, that there's something bigger going on. And I, don't, I can't define it. I don't label it. I don't give it a particular name. But I, I rest into knowing that I am held and I'm safe and I live in a friendly universe. Fantastic. That's really, really, really wonderful. Aaron, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, October 16. My guest will be award-winning author Tisa Tui. She is a longtime journalist who has happily turned her life experiences and reporting skills to fiction featuring female reporters. Teresa worked for five daily newspapers and the Associated Press. Her first woman stint included assistant city editor at the Detroit News and the copy desk at the Newark Star-Ledger. Teresa and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest novel, Flying Jenny. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Ariane, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you. Blessings on you too and thanks for the work you do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Target Run? Join Target Red and earn 1% today, then treat yourself later. It's free and isn't another card. Just sign up in store with your phone number or at target.com slash red. Some restrictions apply. 1% is not earned on purchases made with a red card.